When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dinger, nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, August 10th, 2021 is Dinger, which is a name used for a home run. How many dingers does he have? I don't know if that's used by young people anymore, Coco. That may be a boomer word. Dinger is the name that was chosen for the Colorado Rockies mascot. We spoke yesterday in detail about what happened at the Rockies Marlins game on Sunday, where Lewis Brinson, the soul African-American playing in that game, as far as I remember, was at the plate and microphones around the stadium in Colorado picked up what people thought was the N-word. Investigation started. I explained to you exactly what the Rockies would do, exactly what Major League Baseball is going to do. There were people quick to judge. It was Bartman-like almost in people attacking the fan who was in some sort of video looking like he was yelling, though no one could match up the lips and the mouth. It was a whole thing. Immediately, someone came out and said, no, he was yelling for Dinger. Two sections over, the mascot to come take a photo. Can't imagine he's the first person to yell Dinger in Rocky's ballpark. Coors Field, I would think not. I think Dinger's been the name for the duration, at least since the mascot started. Don't even know the year, but it's been a while. But let's pretend that no one ever called Dinger's name. And let's pretend that if they did, they enunciated it perfectly. Let's pretend that no one picked it up on a microphone. After the game on Sunday, no players said they heard anything, which I found to be interesting, if not dispositive, because players do hear when you heckle them from the lower rows. If it comes from a different place in the ballpark, players would not hear. Generally, players tell me they're hearing about 10 rows up and that's it. People who use clicking like bells and whistles and vuvuzelas, they can hear that around the ballpark. Can't quite pinpoint exactly where it's coming from. But rest assured, hecklers in the first 10 rows, they can figure out between the bases exactly who it is, where it is, because they're looking into the stands at all times for whatever you can imagine they're looking for. So after the game, we didn't hear much other than the statements from MLB and the Rockies. And I agreed with the statements. I didn't like how long it took. But then we found out the next morning that it turns out that it was Dinger and not the N-word. So the Rockies then released another statement saying after a thorough investigation, that included calls, emails, and video clips from concerned fans, media, and broadcast partners, the Rockies have concluded that the fan was indeed yelling for Rockies mascot Dinger in hopes of getting his attention for a photo, and there was never any racial slur 
that occurred. Then, of course, they have to do the usual cut and paste. The Rockies remain dedicated to providing an inclusive environment for all fans, players, guests at Coors Field. Any fan using derogatory language of any kind will be ejected from Coors Field. Ah, glad they got that out of the way. So a thorough investigation. We've done a lot of investigations uh, in our ballpark trying to figure out things. MLB does a lot of investigations. There is no thorough investigation that takes place overnight. You can certainly start speaking to people. You can certainly get an idea. You can review video. You can take emails from fans in the area of that one particular fan who say, no, he didn't say it. All of that is true, but I don't use the word thorough. I use the word quick. It is in the best interest of Major League Baseball and the Rockies to have this over quickly. It is in the best interest of Major League Baseball and the Rockies for that fan to have said dinger. And I'm not opining whether he said dinger or not, because that's not the point. The point yesterday was to tell you what's going to happen, and it did. The point today is to talk about Lewis Brinson, the player, and what he said and what's going on in his mind. And this is important to me, and I hope to you. He said he watched the video clip 50 or 60 times, and each time he heard the N-word. There are other people in the media who watched it. There's other of you who watched it. Some people hear what they want to hear. Some people don't know what they're hearing and say they've heard something when they haven't. Lewis Brinson said he heard the N-word over and over and over again. He said he had never been called that to his face, but he knows many other black players who have. He said that he's never heard in a ballpark, but he knows many other black players who have. Lewis Brinson had very measured, mature words about the fan and about how he feels. He did not want another Bartman situation. He was clear and he was correct. When he says, please don't rush to judgment if the fan didn't do it and the investigation found that the fan didn't do it, then please lay off the fan. However, please understand from my standpoint why I hear that word. What a great society where you can have an athlete who is willing to say that, who's willing to let you in. Most athletes don't want to. They're scared. They think you're going to judge. They think you're not going to like him anymore. Brinson's starting to play much better. Remember, he's been one of the great failures in that Yelich trade. Starting to play better now. Very toolsy player. Chance that he could still be good. This was his last chance. But instead of focusing on his play on the field, he had to take the microphone and focus on something off the field that he deals with every day as a black person, something that no white person can talk about or understand. And I'm not talking about it in that regard at all, because I won't, because I can't. There's a lot of stuff I can talk about, just not that. And I want to compliment Lewis for doing it. And I'm hopeful that his words will not ring hollow. And I'm hopeful that baseball and the fans will pay attention. And this is going to weave into a story we're going to talk about at the end of this show about another initiative that MLB is trying to do. When you are running a business, you are trying to appeal to as many people as possible because you want their money. You have to be very careful who you sort of shut out of your business trying to bring more women into baseball, trying to bring more people of color into baseball. That is not just because it's the right thing to do. That's probably the third reason why businesses do it. They do it because when they look at their revenue streams and they look at 
saturating the market, they realize you cannot have a successful company and only care about middle-aged white people. It just doesn't work. If you're looking to increase from 10 to 11 to $12 billion in revenue, you need to be inclusive. These team owners always talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. What they really are talking about is they are unwilling to exclude people who have a chance to pay, but certainly their focus is not on those who can't pay, on those who can't buy tickets, those who can't buy merchandise or food or park their cars. They say they do, but they don't. It makes me feel sad to admit that, but I want to just let you know how it works and the truth of it all. And it's not what I would say the end of the world because baseball is not the only business. And I ask you, what do you do in your business? What do you think that your boss does, your employer? It's the way of the world. It's the reason we have a show. And baseball has to walk a fine line because when you are in public, you have to do things in the community. You have to be inclusive in the community. When things go to a boil, you have to respond. Every team that we've witnessed over the past year and a half, they have all been reactive, not proactive. When they've had a situation where there's been a minority who has spoken up, when there's been a woman who's been harassed, when there's been a problem in the workplace, then you see all the hirings for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Then you see the statements. Then you see the money. It's like people who give money, and I'm just as guilty, after a hurricane to places that are struck by hurricanes, or when there's a tragedy, you give money to help people who have suffered from an acute tragedy, and then you move on to the next. And frankly, that's what happened with Dingerman. People were running with their pitchforks toward him, and when they realized that he may not be the right person to use as the next example of what's wrong in this country, they're going to move on to the next person. And there's always going to be a next person while there's racism and hate and misogyny, none of which is going away anytime soon, as much as we all raise money and try to make it and believe that this is the moment, this is the year, this is the time. It's all going to disappear. Look for that with your favorite teams, the reactive nature. I always try to be proactive running a team, but it's impossible. I spent so many years trying to figure out how I could get ahead of the next crisis how I could do something to help people before they needed it, before they asked for it, how I could do as many things without the cameras rolling, but there they were, the cameras, when we gave out Thanksgiving turkeys or Christmas goodies because we needed our partners in the community and our season ticket holders to know that we were trying to make a difference. So here come the cameras. When the news people don't want to come, we film it ourselves. We cut up clips and send it to the media and put it out through our social media account. Does that make me feel dirty? I can't explain how it makes me feel because I know it's part of the game. It's part of the job. But I always felt as though I was taking advantage of my platform. But then I thought I'm a consequentialist. So people need food. They need turkeys during Thanksgiving. They need groceries. And I always felt it was inappropriate to give people dessert when they couldn't afford dinner rather give them dinner. When we'd give gifts to people, I always felt I'd rather pay their rent. I'd rather find a way to, and God, that makes me sound like a total socialist, which I'm not. It's just hard. It's hard to have a conscience and run a team. 
it's hard to have a conscience and do the right thing in the moment when you're answering to two gods, one that is green and one that is good. The Rockies at the end of the day didn't handle this perfectly, but given the circumstances, they did the best they could. My hope for Lewis Brinson is that he plays the rest of his career without having to answer questions or hear that word. And that is a hope that I feel will go unanswered. Today, I should tell you, as I segue into a paid spot, paid promotion alert, today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening could be time better spent growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get to the candidates worth interviewing faster. And it's all caps free. I think I'm supposed to exclaim free. Over 750 million professionals make it simple, easy to find the right person for your job while cooking breakfast. Who the hell wrote that? I love it. Is that you, Coca? Do you want to hire someone while you're cooking breakfast, while you've got the spatula turning over the eggs or flipping the French toast, while you're spraying Pam and getting your bagel toasted? You can be going on LinkedIn on your phone with your left hand. All you have to do is go to linkedin.com slash Samson while you're cooking breakfast. If you do it while you're eating breakfast, it's not free. But while you're cooking breakfast, it's totally free. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know that every week during breakfast, nearly, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn during breakfast? Post your job for free while cooking breakfast at linkedin.com slash Samson. Hold on, start that again. All right, LinkedIn, I'm sorry. I just had extra saliva, which happens. Have you ever gone to a show and seen actual people spit? They do when they talk. Like go on Disney Plus and watch Hamilton and there's so much uh, spitting during the King George's song. You'll be back. All right, here we go. Ready? Four, six, nine. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster while you're cooking breakfast. Did you know that every week nearly, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn while cooking breakfast? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Samson while cooking breakfast. That's linkedin.com slash Samson to post your job for free. Capital F, capital R, capital E, capital E. Terms and conditions apply only while you're cooking breakfast. Are we good, Coca? All right, give it to me. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson for all of you new to the show, or even if you're not, that is a movie called half baked. You may want to check it out. Dave Chappelle half baked is a movie where frankly, you can watch it any level of baked. I'd suggest seven eighths. Some of you have come back to me and said a quarter works just fine. Those of you who say not at all. God bless you. I'm sort of an eight eighths guy with half baked. There's a guy named uh, Samson who's in that. And Samson, people want to talk to him all the time. And what I love about the fact that they want to talk to Samson is they ask him questions. So I said, no problem. I'm going to do that in nothing personal. And Coca said, let's do a segment. So go into Twitter at David P. Samson and ask a question. Can you explain the role an agent has when representing two players competing as free agents? 
I love that question. Thank you for asking that. PJ from Weston. Thank you for asking that question. So I want to give you the example that I read about yesterday that made me smile. There's a former player we had named Kike Hernandez. We got him from the Dodgers and we traded him. No, we traded him to the Dodgers and got him from someone else. Oh my heavens, I can't remember the transaction. But we had him, then we traded him. He's a good utility guy. He just signed a two-year, $14 million deal with the Boston Red Sox. The almost all-season first place now, second place, soon to be third place, probably not going to make the playoff Boston Red Sox, who've been outperforming under returning manager Alex Cora, Boston Red Sox. But Kike's been a great utility player. He's played some shorts, some outfield. He's hitting well, 15 home runs, et cetera. There's another player who is a free agent named Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon was given a qualifying offer, but chose to sign a one-year $18 million deal with the Oakland A's. Nope, with the Toronto Blue Jays. And he has been phenomenal with the Blue Jays. So Marcus Simeon and Kike Hernandez share the same agent. Marcus Simeon wanted to play shortstop and negotiated with the Red Sox to play shortstop, his agent negotiated. The Red Sox were not ready to commit to what position he'd play. And the same agent then negotiated a two-year, $14 million deal with the Red Sox. The Red Sox had no more money for Simeon. Simeon ends up going to Toronto, ends up playing second base, which he didn't want to play, but now he's super happy to play there. Agents have a laundry list of clients all through their pipeline. They have minor leaguers all the way up to major leaguers. They have major leaguers who are just starting all the way through major leaguers who are free agents. The best agents have players all through the scale. And agents have people who work for them. They've got lawyers. Most agents are lawyers, by the way. If you want to be an agent, I would strongly suggest law school, as you know. Most agents have people who work for them. Some of them are solely there to babysit the players. Some of the people who work for agents are there to give financial advice, though they claim they don't. Some are there to handle all the requests, all the endorsements. Some are there to go to games and be present so other agents can't poach the players they have. But when the lead agent gets involved, they really only get involved to sign a player, poach a player, and then negotiate a free agent deal. Some agents will tell you that they work on arbitration, but they're lying to you. We spoke to agents all the time. We'd get on the phone with them when we were arguing arbitration and trying to get a settlement number, and they would do a couple calls with us, but any cases that go to arbitration, main agents never work on those cases. They don't write those briefs, much like I don't either, much like the GM doesn't either. All of that is totally normal. They just sort of claim they do, and we never do. So when an agent looks at his players and sees that he's got two similar players who are going to be free agents at the same time, is that a conflict of interest? And the answer is no, because here's how the conversations go. The agent would call the team and say, hey, I've got Kike and I've got Marcus, and they're both good fits for you. Where's your head? What are you thinking? What's your payroll looking like? I think you can get Kike for less on an annual basis. I think Marcus would really help your team. I think Kike is looking for more than a year 
given where he is in his career. But I think with Marcus, he obviously would look at a long-term deal, but he's not afraid to be on a one-year deal and increase his value going into free agency next year. So agents are super honest. You never thought I'd say that, did you? Agents are super honest with teams when they've got multiple players because we're super honest with them when it comes to who we want to talk about. And we know the difference when an agent is trying to push a player on us because that happens very often. Agents will call and say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I've got Dustin McGowan available and uh, he's looking for an invite. Or I've got John Rosen available. He's looking for a major league deal. I've got Anti Mame available. A minor league deal will be fine. They don't need to tell us when they've got top free agents because we all are aware when George Springer is available or when Marcus Simeon or Kike Hernandez, because we're walking around with the list and we're planning for free agency two years in advance. And when people sign extensions with their own team, we cross them off the list. We have it reprinted, resent in the Google document. So we have an updated list of free agents. We then keep a column of what we think their market value is. And then we keep a column of where we value the player. And if we value the player differently than the market, than what we think the market is going to value, that's a free agent who we're going to target. You know, we carry around our one, three and five year payroll all the time. So we're moving players in and out and we're talking to agents about all their different players. And the way agents avoid the conflict of interest is they're honest with their own players. So Kike and Marcus were speaking during the course of their free agencies. They knew very well that they were both talking to Boston. The agent did not hide that fact. The players did not hide that fact from the other players because their view is if I don't get it here, I'm going to get it there. And if there are extenuating circumstances where a player has to go to a certain team, then the other player would stand down. And I've seen that happen. If the player has a family reason, if there is a true positional need by that team, if that owner of that team has a special feeling for that particular player, if that GM has a special feeling for that player because he drafted him, let's say, or because he worked on a team that had drafted him, or he scouted him, or he knows him for a particular reason, those types of things are communicated. So we would say to the agent, listen, we really, we're really focused on Kike right now because that's our relationship and we believe that's the fit. And the agent would go right to Marcus and say, the Red Sox are gonna focus on Kike. All of that is normal, all of that is fine. So agents, while you may think they're walking a fine line, in this case, and you know I'll get an agent's whenever I can because they're lying all the time to teams on various issues of who's interested and who's not, whether or not players are the final piece to your puzzle, see Wei and Chen, whether or not there's an opportunity to get a big bargain discount, which there never is. But when they're dealing with multiple players in their stable, they know they can't screw around because players talk in the clubhouse. Players talk before and after games. They hang out during the off season. And if you work for an agent who is doing something behind your back, if your agent is doing something behind your back, the player is going to find out about it. And that word is going to spread like wildfire. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be out of a job. I appreciate that question. That was a So You Want to Talk to Samson. When we come back, we're going to review a movie I just watched yesterday. And we're also going to get to what I mentioned in baseball. 
And I'm going to ask you all again whether or not you're still angry that the Marlins traded Luis Castillo because, my God, does he stink. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for reviewing, rating, following. It came out yesterday, the People's Choice Podcast Awards that you all voted. Thank you. Nothing Personal with David Sampson has been nominated for best podcast in sports and also for best male host. That means me. I wanted to thank Coca. Coca was instrumental in us getting nominated because he voted a thousand times. But more than that, there is no show without Coca. So Matt, if you're still listening to the show, because it's our last show before a break, uh, then I would, although we're going to have stuff, I'll get to that. I just wanted to thank you. Coca for helping us be nominated. It is now up to a panel, but hey, if we win, I'm going to brag. <clears throat> and if we lose, I'm going to say being nominated is the only victory we were looking for. Nothing personal with David Sampson. We're here every day. I watch a movie every day. Have we gone to break yet, Coca? I cannot remember if we went to break because the way it works is, are you there, Coca? The way it works, I got to tell people. The way we go to break is I say, hey, oh, we have? Okay, good. I say, all right, we'll be right back. And then I pause a second. Coca puts in a bunch of stuff. I have no idea what. And then I start talking again a second later. But for you, it's five minutes or three minutes or two minutes or eight minutes, depending on what CBS and Coca want to do. And then I say, welcome back. But I forgot whether I said welcome back. So welcome back. I watch a movie every day. I watched a movie called She's in Portland. She's in Portland, stars people who I don't know. It is my kind of movie. It is a buddy road trip movie about a friend who wants to bring a friend to Portland to find the love of his life who was a college crush. And on the way to Portland, they have a bunch of experiences somehow. And I love this about movies. No matter where they stop on a road trip, they're two guys. No matter where they stop in whatever restaurant, there's two single women there. I don't know how that works. I was on a cross country road trip. I didn't find a single woman at every place I stopped. But in the movies, that happens. So in this movie, they experience different things on their road trip, ups and downs. Um, I believe, Coca, that Derek Jeter's ex-girlfriend stars in this movie. I thought I read somewhere reading all of Jeter's gift basket people that someone named Minka Kelly was on that list, but I could be wrong, but I may be right. She stars as 
the wife of one of the people on the road trip, which there's a bit of a complication there, as you may imagine, when you're on a road trip. Not that that ever happens on a road trip. No chance, toilet pants. <laughs> She's in Portland is romantic. It's a comedy. It's a buddy movie. It's a road trip movie. I am all in. It feels good. It is not complicated. It is not Shakespeare. It is light. And when you've gone through a week or a day that is painful or difficult, and you are looking for entertainment, she's in Portland. That's the woman they're going to in Portland. Get it? She's in Portland. Carmelo Anthony is not in Portland anymore. How is that, Coca, for a, what's the word? A transition. Just thought of that. Carmelo Anthony's next on the list, and he used to play for Portland, and he's not in Portland. He's in L.A. The Lakers have been getting some interesting press recently because I believe their starting backcourt are all octogenarians. I believe their average age is 72 years old. They're all on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. They're the laughing stock of sports because their roster's so old. What's with people? Everyone has a critic. Everyone's a critic, right? Carmelo Anthony met the media as a new member of the Lakers, and he had quite a few words to say, one of which caught my interest. You know my view of Carmelo. I think it's Coca's favorite player. Think he's thinks he's the best player in the league. Surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, which isn't that meaningful in the NBA. But Carmelo Anthony has as many rings as Coca. Carmelo Anthony has been to the finals as many times as Coca in his 13 years. Carmelo Anthony may be a scoring champion. He may be in the top five all-time scoring because he can score. But where Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook together in L.A. don't have is a ring. So they went to the Lakers. It reminds me of when Clyde Drexler went to the Rockets and Charles Barkley went to the – God, did he go to the Rockets too? Did Clyde Drexler and Charles Barkley go ring shopping in Houston? I have this strange feeling they did, and it didn't work out. They should have gone to the Bulls. When you are looking to chase a ring toward the end of your career, and that's what Carmelo Anthony is looking to do, I think you want to go to the best team. I don't have the Lakers as the best team in the NBA. I don't have LeBron as the best player in the NBA anymore. Still the second best player of all time, but not the best player currently. Father time will catch everybody. If you're lucky. But Carmelo Anthony has a bit of an attitude right now because he believes that he's going to play with a big chip on his shoulder to try to change the narrative that the Lakers are too old. He believes that he wants people to continue to be negative and hate on the Lakers because that will incentivize them. And I explained to Carmelo, were I to see him in La La Land, that the only chip that matters is what's on LeBron's shoulder, and the only chip that matters is in Anthony Davis's legs. If he needs to, if he's healthy and LeBron is healthy and they manage his loads well enough, he needs that way more than he needs to have a chip on his shoulder because of age. The question was asked of Carmelo, why aren't you playing with LeBron earlier? Why didn't you? And he said, we were in two different lanes. It was a great quote. We're in two, we were in two different lanes doing our own thing. We felt this was the right time. Do you know what that translates to? Carmelo really didn't have a lot of other offers. 
He was done in Portland. Teams realized that he's fine. He's more of a bench player, more of a role player. And LeBron wanted his friends around. Are you shocked that in the NBA, while LeBron got his big three with Westbrook and Davis, to the extent that that is a big three, that he finally wanted Carmelo Anthony, his running mate, his teammate only in international play. They were drafted the same year. He finally said, all right, Carmelo, come to the Lakers. Now, how does that work? Here's how. He calls up Rob Palenka. Hey, Rob, it's Bronny. Are you ready? I've got a request. Nah, it's not a request. I've been checking through my agent, my business guys, and it appears that you've got the room under the cap. I want Carmelo Anthony. Well, LeBron, I'm not sure that he really fits in the team. I, I hear you, Rob, but it doesn't matter. I want someone to hang out with on the road. Don't you want me to be happy? And he's my running partner. Yeah, but we really want to win, don't we? Here's the other places where we could spend that exemption, spend that money. LeBron said, doesn't matter. I called Carmelo. Carmelo will sign what we offer him. I told him what we're going to offer him. Rob said, LeBron, how do you know what we're going to offer him? LeBron said, I'm telling you what we're going to offer him. I wonder when the NBA is going to wake up and stop giving the power to the players. It's a bad plan. Adam Silver thinks about it and worries about it all the time. And the reason he worries about it is that it can go too far. My personal feeling is the NBA has now gone too far. It was worried about when LeBron put together Wade and Bosch in Miami, the first so-called super team. And now that's all there are. When you've got a league of too many haves and too many have-nots, it's what we talked about another day. You don't want, you want competitive balance. You want as many teams and cities to believe they have a chance before the season starts. But in basketball, the offseason is so critical. Free agency is so critical that teams get so turned off so quickly, their fans, when they don't make proper moves. People are upset that the Knicks didn't, didn't make enough moves. It's just signing their own guys, bringing in one French guy. God, they need the Knicks to be good. All right, my closing point on Carmelo Anthony. I've done 10 wait to sees on him. I've already done the wait to see on the Lakers not winning a title. Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook are not bringing a title to Los Angeles. LeBron, you're going to have your friend, but you are giving up catching Jordan and Kobe by surrounding yourself with your friends. Big mistake, and the season will show that. I've made a lot of bad trades in my career. And I only ask that when you are evaluating bad trades, you don't evaluate based on a moment. When we look at trades, we are very keenly aware that we cannot evaluate it until we're probably done with that team. Our contract has run out. We're out of the game. When you trade a young player away, you don't want to get bitten in the ass by it, but you also know that you can't evaluate it quickly. And you try to convince your owner of that. We traded Luis Castillo to the Reds and I was crucified because he was acting like a number one starter for a while. And I told you that our baseball people told me I didn't know him. Our baseball told people told me he's a back end of the rotation guy or a bullpen piece. In my view, let's get a current mid rotation guy who's ready to go now in Straley. Let's get him now. 
And Luis Castillo will end up being what he's supposed to end up being because I believe in you, the baseball people. That's your job. That's what we pay to do. Castillo goes to the Reds. He becomes like a Cy Young candidate. People are losing their minds. Chris Paddock, Cy Young candidate for the Padres. Guess what? They both stink. They're both exactly what we said they would be. At best, back of the rotation, guys. At best. The Reds needed a victory last night, and Luis Castillo absolutely was horrendous. Horrendous. What am I doing betting on Luis Castillo? We're 105 and 90. The Reds needed that game. All right, the pick tonight. This is for you, Coca and Riley. I understand the Mets have a problem. The Phillies have won eight in a row. The Mets are in a third place now in a terrible division. They have a very tough schedule coming up. They did get a starter back to replace DeGrom. That's the starter who they got from the Cleveland Indians named Carlos Carrasco. Remember when they got him, how excited you all were? We got Lindor and Carrasco. Oh my God, it's the greatest trade ever. Lindor, $340 million later, an oblique strain and lack of performance. Will he live up to that $340 million contract? It's almost impossible to, and he is well on his way to not. The Mets offense is putrid. Without DeGrom, their pitching doesn't have a chance. But Carrasco's back, folks. Your savior's back. Hip, hip. Hooray! We're going to take them because they're playing the Nationals. And the Nationals are really bad, even though they have one of the best players, top three players in the game. But the Nationals are just F-I-N-I-S-H-E-D completely. Take Carrasco. The Mets will try to stop the bleeding that they started in Philadelphia. The bleeding that is clearly not going to stop until it ends with them watching October from their couch and Pete Alonzo being taught by his owner, president, and PR people to zip it. But they're going to win tonight. Okay. I want to get to the end of the show. We have one more segment. It's the wait to see. And it's an extended wait to see because I want to explain what's happening and what was rumored yesterday. An article came out about Barstool. Barstool is a platform, very successful. Dave Portnoy is that guy who reviews pizza. You may know him. They've got podcasts. They have a reputation of being on the edge. They have got a reputation of misogyny. They've got a reputation of other qualities that people of a certain demographic do not find attractive or reasonable. So Barstool is basically brought under this tent of very binary. You love them or you loathe them. I'm good with that because Portnoy's smart. You want to be loved or loathed. You don't want to be ignored. When you are ignored, you are poor. When you are loved or loathed, you are rich. There is no one universally loved. There is no one universally loathed. It can't happen. We live in a diverse society. It's too big. The world is too big. You cannot be all things to all people and look around. People try. You want to find someone who tries to be all things to all people, finds a failure. You want to find someone who's polarizing. You want to find someone who draws the attention of people to both love and loathe. You will find someone who's got multiple zeros next to their salary. 
Well, Barstool has a lot of cash on hand and they are trying to spend it. Barstool, which started off as a, what did it start off as, Coca? A newsletter? I actually can't remember what it started off. Some sort of blog or some sort of website? Blog. Thank you, Coca. It has now morphed into something far bigger. They're in the podcast space, but now they want more. An article came out that Barstool and Major League Baseball are negotiating for Barstool to have the live rights to baseball games. Holy guacamole. You're telling me that the 30 old white owners are going to want to do business with Barstool? Half of whom have no idea who Barstool is. The other half are told that they've got to stay away from Barstool. Meanwhile, Barstool is exactly what Major League Baseball needs. Background is that in the new TV deals, national TV deals that Major League Baseball struck, there are midweek openings. ESPN used to have a Wednesday package. They don't anymore. There are midweek packages available for sale. When you are a league, you have a menu of all the things you're willing to sell. You've got different rounds of the playoffs. You've got the league championship series. You've got the World Series. You've got the expanded playoffs, which are going to be in the next CBA. I promise you that. So extra wild card games. Then you've got a Sunday night package. Then you've got a midweek, a Monday, a Wednesday. And you write down all the different people and companies who could buy these packages. And you go out and try to maximize each package. Well, ESPN did not want a certain package. So guess what? MLB's out there trying to sell it. And they're out there talking to as many people as possible. And the rumor about Barstool is interesting to me because Barstool is not the only company who's being spoken to, but it certainly is the most interesting one because Barstool has gone knee deep into the gambling side of sports. They realize how much money there is in gambling because all of you are total suckers and I love you for it. Not all of you can go 105 and 90 unless you do every pick that we say on Nothing Personal and listen every day. At the end of most years, people who take the bets make more than people who make the bets. Let me rephrase that. Wipe it, Coca. 80-69. At the end of every year, the people who make the bets have less money than the people who take the bets. Keep that in mind when you're deciding what you want to do, if you have a choice to be the house or not. But Barstool understands how much money there is in people wanting tips. CBS built an entire network based on people wanting tips. People have jobs handicapping. It's been going on forever in a day. Handicappers know more than you do. Really? They have proprietary coded information where they plug in their simulations and 82% of the time, the over on that game is going to hit. Okay, good luck. That said, MLB is now shoulder deep in gambling. We talked last week about the Chicago Cubs and the sports book that they're building next to their ballpark. Other teams are going to follow suit. The Arizona Cardinals in football just announced it. Every single team in every sport is going to have books just like they do in Europe where you can bet on the concourse after getting a hot dog during the game. Barstool wants to take advantage of that and they want to show live sports on their platforms, Twitter, Instagram, 
YouTube. There's a lot of money in building your audience. That's why I want you to subscribe to Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube. That's why I want you to subscribe and follow the podcast and rate and review because that is how Coca gets new furniture. So Barstool goes to MLB and says, hey, we've got the money. MLB says, you've got the money. We've got the time. Barstool says, what do you think about the possibility of us broadcasting a game, but not with Bob Costas? Broadcasting a game that is all about gambling. People watch our feed and we're going to have in-game bets. We're going to be talking about all the different lines. We're going to be showing what's going on in the game, not telling you where the defensive players are positioned. And baseball says, hmm. Only if it's a side-by-side broadcast with local regional networks. Is that okay? Barstool said, of course. If you're living in New York and you want to watch the Yankees, you can watch Yes Network, but it'll be a non-exclusive game because Barstool on a random Wednesday once a week, they are going to show that Yankee game and it will be all about gambling. MLB said, I like you. I like you a lot. Hold on one second. Let me speak to some of the 30 white owners. Here I go. Hey, what do you think about Barstool? Ooh, I don't know about that. Hey, here's the dollars involved. Your share one thirtieth of a lot is less than a lot, but more than zero. Ooh, I like that a lot. The best way to get 23 votes in baseball is to show the owners how much money they're going to make from a certain deal. And that is what people running the deal in baseball are going to do. It's likely being led by Noah Garden, their chief revenue officer, who understands that doing business with Barstool while potentially criticized by certain people in certain areas is being criticized by the people not of the demographic that baseball is trying to get. That is the interesting part. Barstool represents a demographic that baseball craves, that football craves, that basketball craves. It's the demographic that I am not, but I crave. And that's why I've got Coca around because he's that. Not that he's a misogynist. He's not that. He is of the younger demographic. What are you, Generation Y or Q or X or Millennial? I don't know. I I lost track. I think I'm the, I'm not a baby boomer. I think I'm a Generation Z or maybe that's World War Z. I don't know what I am. I never thought about that. Like, I don't think about my sign, even though I know I'm Pisces. I just don't know what it means. All I know is that all the people who are writing on Twitter about how bad it is to do business with Barstool are the exact people who baseball they don't care about. Now they like your money and they're fine, but you're all getting older. They need to redo the pipeline, refill it, replenish it. I have a feeling that Barstool, who has extra cash right now, is going to pony up. I don't believe it will be like an Under Armour situation where they put a ton of money in and then have to get out of the deal the way Under Armour did with their on-field uniforms. I believe Barstool has the money and a sustainable business model. And I'm going to give you a wait to see. Barstool and MLB are going to cut a deal for a TV package that'll be a streaming package. And it's going to be landmark. It'll be a landmark deal. Groundbreaking. All right. Here's the schedule. Tomorrow, there will not be a nothing personal. But you can listen to this show again. Thursday, there's going to be a mailbag. That's April 12th. Friday, we have a special guest, not hosting nothing personal, but there's a chance for a very cool, fun Samson sit down on Friday. And then next week, we have four mailbags, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So no regular show for eight weekdays, 
but there will be six new shows for you to listen to. And I really hope you do. The mailbags are super interesting. The Friday show has a chance to be super interesting. Wait to see. I appreciate all of you. That's it. And remember, no show tomorrow. Come back Thursday. I know you will. For me, I got to go. It's just business. It's nothing personal.